Welcome to Love Essie, the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. So this week, I'm talking to you guys about book two um, in the series called Once Upon a Dukedom. Um, This is a series by Lorraine Heath. This is The Duchess Hunt. This is book two. So if you guys listened to the last episode, last episode, I spoke about Scoundrel of My Heart, which is book one in this series. I don't think I mentioned the series title because I don't think I realized what the series title was in book one. What I had mentioned was the fact that people were talking about this second book. And since I needed to put it on hold because, you know, the library had me and other people interested in it. I decided to read book one so I'd know what was going on. And I had randomly heard, you know, that Lorraine Heath always had like a crazy plot twist. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then she had a crazy plot twist. And I was like, what in the what? What in the what? What is going on here? So I was like, okay. So then book two, I was like, oh, my library hold is taking forever. I decided to check the app again to see like how much longer. And then the New York Public Library had the book ready to, to borrow. Because my hold, in case you're like, pero what? Uh, I had put it on hold at the Brooklyn Public Library because I think at the time that had been showing as either the... I don't know if that was showing as the shortest hold time or that was just the one I picked. So anyway, I was like, all right, bet. It's, it's ready. I'm just going to borrow the one that's like ready to be borrowed and cancel the other hold. And therefore, I read The Duchess Hunt. Now, um, our main characters are Penelope Pettipiece. I don't know if it's Pettipiece or Pettipiece. Um, I'm probably going to say the first one, but I may at times say Pettipiece instead of Pettipiece. So, you know, in case you're like, what? Same person, right? And Hugh Brinsley Norton, uh, Duke of Kingsland. So these are our two main characters. And I personally would classify this, it is a historical romance, right? But I would also still classify it as a, essentially an office romance of the time. Because Penelope is Hugh's secretary, right? Like, she works for Kim. He is her employer. So this is an office romance, yeah? You see what I'm going? Even though, like, you know what I mean. So, this historical, right, um, in the first book, this is, we first meet the Duke of Kingsland, Hugh, in book one. Because the character, our main female character from book one, has to marry a man with a title to get her grandma's cottage. And so, he's a man with a title. He is, he's a duke. And he, in book one, is like, I'm not about to go out here looking for women to be my wife. Everyone who is eligible, send in a letter. I'll go through the letters. I'll pick one. Well, he picked one. Then she picked someone other than him. So in his book, he's like, well, it didn't quite work, right? But I still don't want to go around finding a woman to, 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 to be my wife. So... I'll get my secretary, who knows me really, really well, to be the one who picks my 
at least candidates for me out of no actually no she wasn't just picking candidates she was supposed to be picking like his future duchess out of the letters uh that he would be receiving because obviously when it was up to him he didn't do the greatest job because he picked someone who you know to be fair was in love with somebody else so this is our premise she works for him she has been tasked with finding him a wife. But of course, this is a romance. There is conflict. There is a journey. And there is a happily ever after. Um, so the plot twists in this one are deep, dark secrets, right? The plot twist in book one was it. I mean, it was a deep, dark secret to the main, the male main character. He had no idea that that was coming. But it wasn't, like, a specific, like, it wasn't, how do I put this? It wasn't his deep, dark secret. It was somebody else's, right? So, in this case, both of our characters, both of our main characters have deep, dark secrets. Um, and we find out, obviously, because, <laughs> hello, this is what we're here for. Now, at first I was like, because a lot of, not a lot of people, but a number of people that, um, whose opinion on romances I valued had really like talked up this book and were very excited about it. Um, so I was like, okay, let's see. And I really did what I so far have been really appreciating about this series is there's this, I don't want to say that it is, mm, has a modern feel to it because I don't think that's it but I think that um just the example or not just the example just the fact that we have a duke who has a woman for secretary right I feel like so that it isn't something we see a lot in this specific subgenre um if women are secretaries, maybe they're secretaries to merchant characters. But this is the Duke of Kingsland. This is, you know, as, as it always is in a historical, this is an old and venerated dukedom, blah, 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 right? This is not somebody who, you know, I don't know, his family became dukes two generations ago. This is like, oh my goodness, since the time of the conquerors, whatever, I don't know. It's an old dukedom. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because immediately when I was like, wait, she's his secretary. I was like, hmm, that's a bit different. Interesting. And I'm not entirely sure, like, the exact years. I don't Maybe they were mentioned and I just glossed over that. But it does feel a little bit more like I feel like there are other historicals that just wouldn't have that at all. Like, oh, a woman as a secretary? Like, no. That can only be a man's job or, you know, because Petty Peace, like, runs his life for it. Like, she is a value, such a valuable member of his household in a way that in other books we sometimes see that happening. Uh, I guess in other books we don't necessarily see how that value spans across the entire household because that character isn't also 
the main character, so we don't spend as much time with them. In this case, because she is one of our two main characters, we get to see so much more of what, I guess, the behind the scenes of running the life and affairs of a Duke look like. Um, which I was like, oh, okay. You also, in book one, I was like, wow, so you really just out here just going off letters? Which, on one hand, sounds wild, but on the other hand, isn't that like if he was just swiping left and right on an app today? Like, isn't that what we're doing? (laughs) Instead of like, I guess he was like, why would I go to balls and music salons and and whatever, what other entertainments are there at this time where, you know, people of both sexes co-mingle? Aside from balls, I don't know, garden parties, whatever else. Like, why go to all that when he's busy managing all of the affairs of a dukedom when he could just be like, y'all just send me letters and I'll go through them and pick the one I like the most, right? I feel like to the modern day equivalent is a dating app. Like, why am I going to go to all of these in-person events? That could be anything from charity dinners to dive bars to singles night at the bowling alley. Je ne sais. Um, when you could just like swipe, 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 tap, 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 and then, you know, narrow it down that way. And also each person... Each of the women, for example, of course, are writing uh, about themselves, whether or not they're being completely honest or completely fabricating their character. But, you know, there's a way to get information about yourself down on the page that might be different or come across as different in real life kind of thing. So I, it wasn't that I was like, oh, this is such an asshole thing to do. Have your secretary... Uh, pick out your spouse I mean it is kind of but as it didn't immediately make me think oh Hugh is terrible and I hate him and he should die um, because it's like you did get you know thrown over for a second son and you didn't turn into a whining bratty man child acting like the world had ended it was kind of like okay yeah like she was in love with me. So anyway, time to, you know, tweak the process of it so that uh, we don't have that happen again. And so that I thought was really interesting. Now, this book, I feel like we, maybe because this is now second book in the series, right? So it doesn't need, it doesn't need to do with the first book wouldn't necessarily need to do which is really make us understand where in this world we are we know where we are we're in this specific time period we know that now because he was you know the one sort of not left at the altar but sort of you know left just before the wait I think he does propose and she's like actually nah I don't remember but I think he does propose um because we are, you know, with the person who kind of, you know, kind of got shafted, not quite, but sort of, uh, we don't see the previous couple, because they're not really friends with, like, this wasn't also a situation of, like, oh, everybody knows each other, it's like, we, they, the other two characters knew of him, 
but they weren't his friends. So this isn't a series where you're like, oh, we see these two characters and then we go on to the next two, but we still see a lot of the first couple or even glimpses of the first couple. I think there's a very brief mention of the first couple um, in this book and it's very, very brief and that's it. But that makes sense. But that doesn't mean that because we're so far removed from that first couple that we don't have aspects from that first book show up in book two. And the biggest one would be the club that the hero from book one has opened is a club that Petty Petty Peace shows up at. She, both her and Hugh's brother, um, he has a younger brother, um, attend, like, go to the club. So, in some ways, like, that, I guess, can be sort of our, con- I was gonna say continuity, but I guess that can be sort of our, th- our threading through, from book one into book two. It's like, we've already met our main character in book one, but also this, this, this one place that exists, that that was an idea in book one that became um, a reality, we're now seeing it um, a little bit further along the line, I guess, or further down the line from when we first saw it. Now, I'm trying to think of what, like, what else I want to speak about without, like, being spoilery. I think one of the, this very much is one of those one character Q as a character is very oblivious um to anything that would have anything to do with the heart and love and romance and all that jazz um this is a book that I think we're seeing two characters who have so they're quote unquote deep not quote unquote their deep dark secrets are, I mean aren't just like Haha, whatever you thought that was deep and dark but it really wasn't I feel like they are pretty deep and dark secrets but secrets that also really illuminate who they are as individuals or how they have become the people that they are today and I actually really appreciated the not is it duality I don't want to say duality but I appreciated that it wasn't I have deep dark secret and you say to me I can learn to live with it is we both have this specific vulnerability that is both similar and yet completely different and how they both handle that and the, you know, exposure of that um, vulnerability, I think, is also very, very interesting and very, very sort of telling the way in which both of them handle that. Um, Because, of course, when you're reading, you don't, there's obviously hints. I felt like there were more hints about Petty Pieces' secret 
but I had no idea it was coming. And then out of nowhere, it was like, oh, it's Hugh's secret. And I was like, okay. But I was like, no, but there could be more to this. And then once both secrets were out, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I did not see this coming, but I like it. I mean, I mean, I feel bad for them, but great storytelling. So it's a, it's very interesting because like I said, to me, it feels kind of like an office romance, right? There's the aspect I wouldn't say it's a forced proximity in the sense, because I feel like sometimes forced, prox- forced proximity really has to more to do with like, we are trapped somewhere. You don't have that, but there is, due to the fact that she is his employee, there is so much time spent together. And I think what we also see, even though I don't think either one of them are fully aware and conscious of it at first. It is in some ways a friends to lovers as well because they really do have a friendship. Um, I think that for a while it's hard for them to classify it as that because they are so used to thinking of each other in this specific employee-employee sort of pattern. But as as they move from away from that into something new, they are very much aware that they are fr- like that each each of them values the other's friendship quite quite deeply. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're getting a little bit of. And it's not a friends to lovers in the sense that these are two friends who are clear that they're friends. I think because they work together for a while there, it's like, well, we just work so well together because like, we're both so basically brilliant at working well together. And it does take a bit of time to be like, but we're also friends. Oh, huh. And then eventually it's like, oh, but wait, wait, feelings? Feelings. Big feelings, right? So I definitely felt like it was a different feeling from book one. In that book one, I was like, whoa. I feel like the plot twist really was like, hot damn. And I mean, I liked the heroine, I guess, in book one, but I wasn't, I didn't, this is, there were moments where she aggravated me in this book though, Petty Piece, I was like, yo, I like her. Like, I was rooting for her the entire time. I understood her motivations. As a character, she really, like, made sense to me. And I really enjoyed seeing her on her journey in a way that homegirl from book one, whatever her name was, Catherine, I think, I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, because book one, I feel like really what saves book one is the, the hero. The heroine at times I was like, is this how just does not stop being dumb? Whereas this book, I was just like, yes, petty piece, yes. Um, just seeing her grow and change, I was like, oh, okay. And Hugh, like I said, Hugh at first. When you meet him in book one, you're like, that's kind of arrogant tool, I guess. But book two, you learn so much about 
what shaped him into being the man that he is. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay, I see now. I see why, you know, you are the way you are and you act this way. And I thought that that was really, really well done. Me personally, I was like, hmm, I like this. I like where she went with this. So I definitely see why people were excited about book two. Um, it was definitely a treat to read. Um, it was it was a historical that I was like, okay, okay. I would probably read this again, right? And I'm glad, right? I'm glad that this is a book that I'm like, yes, I would read again. Because sometimes I read books and I'm like, oh, Lord. Is there, is there, is there anyone who has built a time machine so I can get back my time? But that was not the case for this book, and I'm very pleased about that. All right, that's all I'm gonna say. That's like non-spoilery, um, because now I'm gonna like pause, and then it's gonna be spoiler central, um, because this is a much more recent release. So I really don't want to be the person who, like, just makes it, you know, awful for someone who's like, but I was, but I was, I was, I was trying not to be spoiled. I want to be that person. So I'm going to pause here. And then when I come back, spoilers, okay, for the Duchess Hunt. All right, I will, uh, I was going to say see you in a few. Mm, I mean, not really. You will hear me in a few okay so it's time for spoilers for the duchess hunt so again if you haven't read the duchess hunt and you don't want spoilers you don't want to keep listening right now you want to skip forward to the end because i'm about to spoil it right now so if spoilers don't make you happy. If they make you sad, you might want to not listen. If you don't care about spoilers, or you like spoilers, or you've already read the book, then you're good. You're good. You're gonna you're gonna enjoy this section. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. So as I'd mentioned earlier, right, this book has deep dark secrets for both our Duke Hugh. And our secretary, Petty Piece. And so what I think was really interesting, like, okay, no, meh, whatever. What I, what I liked, right, was Hugh had a deep, dark secret. And I was like, oh, wow, will Petty Piece, who is in love with him, understand his deep, dark secret? She did. But guess what? Petty Piece also has a deep, dark secret. Will Hugh understand her deep, dark secret? So I will say, since he's not as evolved of a character, he had a bit of he had a bit of a little like mm, moment, and I was like, this. <sighs> I understood his thought process. I didn't like it, but I understood it. But then he got over himself because he realized he was being that. Um, and so therefore, and then we had hippity hippity hippity. Um, so our two, I think both secrets are very, they're the kind of secrets that would absolutely 
completely, utterly destroy the person. That being said, I think Petty Pieces Secret was a, just, just a little bit worse. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that she is not a duke. She's just a woman. And this... Oh, sorry. I could have mentioned this earlier, but whatever. Um, we do find out at this, is, at this time period, women have just gotten... Basically, there are now laws in place that women can invest. Specific, like Especially, like, widows like can't invest their money and you know grow basically so essentially women are starting to have access to the tools to create and increase wealth without needing like to have a husband um but anyway um so I say that all to say like petty pieces secret was They're both very like, whoa, but I think consequence wise, especially the way they both play out, the consequences were just a little bit more, more dire for her than for him. If the truth ever came out, you're probably going, so are you going to tell us what the uh, secrets are? For those of you read, you're like, "Mm, I can see your point. I can't see your point. Anyway, for those of you who haven't read but want to know, Petty Peace's father was a bookkeeper. He wasn't the best bookkeepers. Now, he he didn't steal from his employers, but he was just really bad about paying, basically paying his bills. So in today's day and age, people who suck at paying their bills often go into bankruptcy and start all over again. Uh, it's not really uh, an option at this time. So Petty Peace's father, whenever they owed a shit ton of money, would basically just move his family to another part of the country. And this is a time period where you, if you move far away enough, start over with a brand new name and a brand new backstory, it's going to be a little bit hard to track you down, right? And in the grand scheme of things, we're not talking like millions of pounds. It's just for someone who is of the working class, it was probably beyond his means. So when Petty Peace is young, not that young, because by the time what happens happens, they've already had to move more than once. Um, Her father is in the same situation. They have to move. Everything is packed up. But she's late to get home because she was playing with her friends. And even though I'm sure it was like, you need to make sure that you're home by this time. She was having a lot of fun with her friends. And as a child was kind of like, okay, what's the big deal if I'm a little late? And I don't think she was that, that young. Um, like she wasn't like six, but she was still young enough to be like, I want to say she was 14. Um, so she must've just been like, it won't be that big of a deal if I'm late. Unfortunately, she's wrong. And the police come, take her father to jail, where her father dies. And at this time period, right, because women don't have property, if your husband is in jail, you and your kids are in jail. 
right? Because where else are you going to go? There's nowhere for you to go. You can't afford anything because you're not working because he was probably the breadwinner. Um, and I, and one of the things that I think is interesting in the ways in which we see parts of this world be recreated in book after book after book because it's in this time period, I believe it's the Grace Burroughs book that one of the characters wants to create a place where the women and children of incarcerated men can live so they don't have to live at the prison. Because previous to this, like, place being created, that's exactly where people who um, are, who have an incarcerated husband end up in. And because part of that comes through the hero having gone through that growing up. Because I believe, I believe he is a member of the peer, but it's one of those like, never thought to inherit or whatever, or maybe he doesn't have a title. But anyway, in Grace Bros is a completely different author, but mentions the fact that that's something that happens. And so in this book by Lorraine Heath, once again, we are reminded that at this time period, women and children of men who are in jail are also in jail with them, even though they technically have not, you know, broken the law. So the family is, you know, has no money, has nothing. And I don't remember who the character was there or who the person was, but this man convinces Petty Peace to take pictures for some money. And I would say, like, today's equivalent, would they would be, like, essentially child porn pictures, very, like, not overtly obscene, but just for the time, you know, salacious. And in her naivete, she thinks it's one picture, or it's a set of pictures, not understanding that the technology now exists to make as many print copies as one could possibly want of these pictures. Um, And the whole reason she does this is to get money for her mom and her sister so that they can have food and maybe, like, have somewhere to live. Unfortunately, the word gets out because I think the man who takes the pictures does have a wife, and the wife sees the pictures and freaks the fuck out and tells her mom. And her mom is so horrified at what she's done that she refuses to have anything to do with her daughter or take any of the money. And both her and Petty Pieces' Petty Pieces younger sibling, younger sister, end up dying. So not only does she lose all of her family, right? Her father dies in prison. Her Oh, because that's the other thing. I also think, like, once your family member, once your husband who's in jail dies, okay, you can't stay here either because <laughs> this is jail. So, bye. So... Petty Peace loses essentially her entire family. Um, And one can look at this and be like, okay, if her mother and father, right, had made different decisions, if the father hadn't been doing what he was doing, which was not paying his bills and maybe, you know, being, then of course, like, this isn't like, oh, this Petty Peace's fault. But of course she feels guilty. Of course she blames herself. And so because there are so many copies Every time 
it looks like someone has found out who sh- that she is the woman in this in these pictures. She has to basically leave that life and go create a new one, right? Which is also something she knows how to do because she saw and learned from her father doing the same. Um, and I think what was also really interesting because she is so young when the pictures are taken, she's nicknamed the like the pictures with her in them are nicknamed the fallen angel, right? Because there's, you know, such an air of innocence because she's a goddamn fucking child, right? <laughs> um, and so, so this is her deep, dark secret that when we first start the book, you know, we're not totally sure. And she does mention like, you know, she doesn't look like that anymore. And I, I think at first I was like, oh, like, was she employed by somebody else when she was younger or, you know, something along those lines. I honestly wasn't thinking like, oh, she was, she had the misfortune of having, you know, these pictures uh, be circulating and having to, you know, change her life. And I think what's interesting about this is like, you we get to see in this book, right, how just this one piece of technology, photography, and the ability to make copies can really change a story, right? Because had Petty Piece been an actual prostitute instead of just, you know, having pictures taken, had she, you know, been in a bordello in, um, in, you know, belonged to a madam or something and had managed to escape for this technology, she could have gone somewhere very far, and of course, there's always this threat that someone from that past life will be going through your new life and recognize you, but there isn't necessarily any proof, and if you do, you know, if there are ways in which, you know, cutting the hair, growing the hair, figuring out how to dye the hair a different color, completely changing manner of dress, manner of speak, um, you know, just full, there are ways but now all of a sudden you've got like there's there's pictures people can see you one place not be sure but go home see the picture again and be like or even have the picture with them and be like oh no I know this is definitely you right which I think is so we we're seeing how technology in this case right this 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 new thing is negatively impacting um, this character's life, and and then because obviously for for all things there's like the, both the good and the bad, right? Um, but I thought it was really interesting that Lorraine Heath was like, okay, let's look at what would it mean or what would it look like to be someone who's so young, and because this is all so new, to be naive to enough to, to believe that it's just one, you know it's just the one roll of pictures or whatever. And that's the end, not knowing that, no, actually this can be copied as many times as can be and how that would then impact trying to live a life outside of that, outside of that. Right. Because she's obviously wants to not have anything to do with that because that was just, it wasn't like, ah, this was great, and I can't wait to do it again. It was like, this was done out of desperation. And I think what's, what I think struck me also really hard is she does all of that 
to still lose her mother and her sister because her mother essentially chooses death over, you know, her, what her daughter has done, which was, felt so frustrating because it's like your daughter, who is obviously young, has, yes, committed something that, you know, is seen as awful, but she didn't do it because she was like, oh, I think that's a great idea. She did it so that y'all would have a roof over your head and food in your belly. And instead, you refuse it. And it's like, but y'all don't have money, and now you're going to die, and then they do. And it's like, were your morals and your quote-unquote values that important to to die and leave your, your not only to leave a child completely you know as an orphan but to also allow for the death of another child like it was just very I was like wow really um and of course I'm coming it from today's mindset but it just was like, I might have been like, girl, you are never doing that again. And we are, you know, going all the way to, I don't know, Ireland, Scotland, somewhere else in the United Kingdom where no one will ever know who we are. And if I ever hear of you doing this ever again, then I might be like, okay, girl, nah, you too old for this. Get out of my house. But I don't know that I would have been like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, let's go uh, die in the street because how dare you? Like, what? Mm, didn't like that. Now, Hugh's secret. <laughs> so, Hugh's father, right, the previous Duke of Kingsland, is an abusive-ass piece of shit. Like, abusive. And so what I think is, so Hugh has a younger brother, and... Oh, sorry, guys. My brain, you know, was like, words! And then the words were like, no, we have left the building. Um... Q, I've seen this happen, I've seen this um, scenario in other sort of romance novels where the oldest is like, beat me as much as you want, it doesn't matter. And then the abuser's like, oh, oh, pain doesn't hurt you. Oh, okay, fine, I won't beat you. But your younger sibling, I'll, I'll beat them. And then, of course, the older sibling is in put in the position of having to follow and placate their abuser because the abuser no longer, you know, goes after them in a physical fashion. They use, you know, a proxy, a younger sibling or the mother. So Hugh's father basically does that, right? When Hugh's kind of like, you can't hurt me because I don't feel your your hits no more because I'm a grown man. Hugh's father's like, bet your little brother's gonna get beat instead. Your little your mom's gonna get beat instead. Which of course puts Hugh in the position of like, okay, I have to placate my father and, you know, try not to do anything that'll get him so angry that he'll want to beat my brother and my mother. So by nineteen, he's had enough of his father's bullshit and he suggests a hunting trip uh, in at their Scottish estate to his father, and his plan is to kill his father. Now, one of the things that we get to see is 
we know that Hugh is very meticulous and has well thought out plan because he's thought out, you know, how to get a bride without having, uh, how to get a duchess without having to go through the whole courting ritual that everyone else does. And so Hugh is like, okay, I'm going to kill my father, but just in case, like, I'm not able to kill him, like, where, what else could I do? So he researches and finds that there's, like, an asylum not that far from the estate. So when they're out hunting, he does think about killing, but he isn't able to do it. So he ends up just, like, I think, knocking his father out with the butt of the rifle. And he ends up, like, basically trussing him up. He ends up, because him and his father had gone out alone, he comes back basically says he needs a wagon. Like, no one's going to question him. He's the son of a duke. He gets a wagon. He loads his father up. He brings his father to the asylum, pretends to be someone else, and essentially informs them that, unfortunately, his father has lost his mind because his father believes himself to be the Duke of Kingsland, and that is impossible. And I, I personally thought that was kind of a stroke of genius because playing into this idea of like he's going to say he's the Duke of Kingsland he is not this is why we know he's having a psychotic break except the man is the Duke of Kingsland and of course what what will he do when he wakes up demand to be released because he's the Duke of Kingsland argue that he's the Duke of Kingsland scream obscenities at everyone about how they will all you know lose everything they've ever had be thrown in jail because he's the Duke of Kingsland and because he actually is the Duke of Kingsland, but no one knows that to be true and thinks that he is delusional, he will just feed into their um, idea that he has completely lost all sense of reality. So that I thought was brilliant, right? And so what Q ends up doing is he ends up going back and being like, there was a hunting accident, and that's how he becomes the Duke of Kingsland. But Technically speaking, as long as father is living and breathing, he is just the heir apparent. He's not, but nobody knows this. So we start out the book, right, with Penelope having to get, figure out a bride for Hume. And then we start to see that, like, their relationship, we see so much of them in their, what is supposed to be their working relationship it seems like the kind of marriage or long-term relationship that you should, you know, be looking for or have, as opposed to what he thinks he should have. Um, And there's this whole, and I think that, and I don't know if it's the fact that in book one, the woman he chose chooses someone else but I think it's I think it's a slow accumulation of different events that has them starting to see petty piece differently and then all of a sudden because I think it's one of those like I didn't really think of her as a woman because of course she works for me and I would never be a horrible lech like that so I think it was like all of these specific things had been built up in his mind about petty pace. And then all of that sort of starts to come down and he starts to see who this woman really is. And he starts to understand the importance she has in his life. Because as it's like, okay, I'm trying to get a wife. Okay, but how will your relationship with petty peace work if you have a wife? Right? Your wife will have to be, you know, first in 
And it's like, well, you know, your wife will have to run things in, in the house. And all, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, so if I get a wife, like all of this. And I don't know if it's the brother or I don't know if it's his brother or his mother who's like, yeah, like, you know, what's going to happen? Like once you get married and Petty Piece, Petty Piece leaves and it's like, what? Why would she leave? Um, and I think what's interesting is that I think everyone around them. So he's a, he he has friends and they call themselves the chessmen and they all have like nicknames of the different chess pieces um and I'm curious I don't know if Marcus the older brother of the main character in book one was a part of that group or not I have no idea but anyway um the chessmen and I think even his mo- and his mother and to some degree his younger brother all very much aware that these two characters Penelope and Hugh would be perfect together. The only two that don't see it are the two of them. Now, Petty Piece is in love and has been in love with Hugh, but doesn't think anything can come of it because, you know, her secret. Hugh has no idea. Hugh doesn't think he's in love with Petty Piece. It takes him, because he also doesn't think that that's something he can do, right? He doesn't think that he can love anyone because he grew up in this abusive household and doesn't want to have anything to do with his father or his father's behavior. And he just doesn't doesn't see it for himself. Um, so we have this moment where there's this like threat to a secret. And of course, Hugh immediately assumes it's his secret. And he ends he does, you know, explain to Petty Peace what is going on. And she doesn't and he's worried that he's going to tell her the truth and she's going to just look at him like, wow, committed your father, huh? Trash. But that's not what happens at all because Petty Peace understands him and understands that he is the better option, that he is a good man, that he only did what he needed to do to prevent further abuse to his loved ones. Now, Petty Peace's secret is actually the one that's being threatened. And that's because, unfortunately, when she had gone to the fair and spare, the club that the hero from book one had created, she came across a man. And it was interesting because it di- didn't click for me right away that this man that she spoke to, um, because first she gets introduced, she goes to the club and she wants to check it out. And it's like, you need to be referred by someone. And she's kind of like, wait, what? But then Hugh's brother is there and Hugh's brother's like, I can refer her. And so there's this man who, like, escorts her. And when she thinks, well, I, you know, I'm never going to be with you, but it would be nice to find a companion, you know, to have someone to spend time with. At first, you're like, oh, okay, well, like, I don't know. But this this could be an option. And then it turns out that this man knows who she is because he has pictures of fallen angel. And I was like, this motherfucker. I was very upset about that. I was like, how how dare you? Because it is very clear from the pi- pictures that she is not a grown woman in them. So what the F? Um, so Petty Peace, I think what's interesting is Hugh is very, I don't think he uh, fully understands that Petty Peace loves him on a conscious level, but I think subconsciously he does, which is why he is fully vulnerable with her and tells her the truth about his father. Um, and she is there when they show up at the asylum and the people at the asylum are like, mm, actually, um, we had no way of contacting you because we, you know, 
never got your contact info, but your father has already passed. Um, would you like to mark his, his, his gravestone? And so, but on the flip side, Petty Peace doesn't tell um, Hugh the truth because she is very aware that, like, her secret, as, as damning as Hugh's secret was, it is now in the past. True, someone could make a fuss about it, but, like, his father's dead. So who would make a fuss? There would be no one to make a fuss. And when Hugh became Duke of Kingsland, the Duke Jim was, like, you know, in the gut, like, had no money. You know, it, the, the usual, the Duke Jim was full of debt, and then Hugh brought it back from that. So, like, it would just be like, oops. Um, if the truth ever came out, who gonna tell? The man is dead. No one knew that the accident happened. Like, it's just not gonna happen. But her secret, right, she has no idea how many pictures are out there. She'll periodically try and, you know, make inquiries or find them and burn them. But she, it isn't until she meets, I think the guy's name was Grenville. It isn't until Grenville threatens her that she even finds out that, like, the pictures of her were are referenced in this, you know, basically child porn world as the fallen angel. So when she ends up, you know, trying to confront uh, Grenville because she's been acting weird, um, Hugh is there. Hugh ends up basically following her and finding out. But he, have not having ever seen the pictures and not knowing anything about it because she had never spoken to him about it, assumes that this is something she's done as an adult and he's angry and feels betrayed and all that, you know. And then she leaves, right? And I, th- I, I think, to me, I thought that was really interesting that she was like, I know that this could harm him and that's the last thing I want. So I'm, I'm going, I'm going. And he's all like, she leaves and then it's like, how do I track her down? And he hadn't been able to track any information about her before she became Petty Peace. So he's, you know, kind of freaking out. And he finally, uh, because they had been able to get the packet of pictures from Granville before they basically, before he basically threatened, basically forced him on a ship to like um, England. But when he finally does see, he, I think he only looks at one picture, he realizes, you know, oh, this isn't something she did like a few weeks ago. Like she was clearly very young, and he understands that like he needs to find her because this is this is the woman for him, right? The the understanding that they have, the way that they work together, everything. So. I was like, okay, cool, and, like, he finds her, he figures out, because I think it's, he realizes, like, oh, where would she go, she might try and, like, you know, find a small piece of property, and he finds the, I think, cottage or cabin, oh, because once she'd mentioned in the, I think it's Cotswold, I don't know how it's pronounced, that she would like to live there, and he basically, like, eventually, once he remembers that, he looks for any cottages that have just been, like, rented, but something I thought was really, really cool. Um, the book has epi- has essentially two epilogues. There's the epilogue that's like, I want to say a few years later, and they're happy and they have kids together. And then there's an epilogue that essentially is present day. And in this present day epilogue, 
it mentions that there is an auction at Sotheby's, right, for one of these, like, pictures that is of this time period that has lasted forever, um, of a woman, of a young, young, young girl, you know, at, at the cusp of womanhood kind of thing, nicknamed the Fallen Angel, and the current Duke of Kingsland, purchases the picture at auction and like his ancestor Hugh burns the final known copy right because I think one of the things that's mentioned at the Sotheby's auction is like the only you know known copy and what I thought was so fascinating about that specific epilogue is Lauren Heath is saying to us, this is something that happened, but Hugh is the kind of man who made sure that every single Duke that followed would always be on the lookout for these images to destroy them for the sake of, you know, his wife their foremother or whatever for everyone and I was like that I thought was so so interesting to me and I I say this because I think one of the things that like one of the things that petty piece was so terrified it was like there's no way to know how many copies there are and where they are and who has them at any moment someone could try to you know hold us from ransom try to ruin you by, you know, coming after me. And he was kind of like, we'll figure it out, but I'm not about to let you go. And as we find them, we will destroy them. And that doesn't just happen while he's alive and ends with his death. It continues until it is completely done and eradicated forever. And Something about that, I, I don't know, that seemed really, really cool and just fascinating to think of, like, how different that is from, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, had she worked uh, as an actual prostitute and there was no, like, actual tangible evidence, then all you got to do is wait for the people who know to die or, you know, uh, kill them. But this is different. You, you don't know who's made copies and shared with friends and you know, relatives and whatnot and so ha- including that other present day um epilogue I was like okay yes 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 and it shows the lengths that Hugh was always willing to go for to go to for those who mattered to him right and when you think about it, it makes sense. This is a man who committed his own father to an asylum to keep his brother and his mother safe and save a dukedom. Of course he would plan and leave instructions for every Duke of Kingsland after him and make sure to find these pictures of his wife, their mother, their grandma, their great-great-grandma, their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma, and destroy them. Of course that's the kind of thing that that character would do. And I don't, I don't even think that this is necessarily something he ever mentions to her after, you know, they're together. I feel like this is something that it's just, like, included. Oh, because 
when he finds out that his father is dead, he want at first it's like, should we mark the bear the the grave with a headstone? And he was like, yes, because I want to leave instructions for my son to end up coming back and getting the remains of this man of all of this man and finally burying them in the family in the family vault or family crypt right because at the end of the day he is still you know the dude which i thought was also really interesting that he wasn't like nah let this man rot in this earth over here it was like no eventually i want those remains moved to the family crypt where they belong um because he's dead but he was also you know the Duke of Kingsland. And I don't think he's necessarily thinking he was my father. And, you know, it was just like, this is something, this is the duty that has to be done. And so on the flip side, it's like the duty that has to be done is that everyone after me will do everything they can to find these images and destroy them for the sake of my wife. And I was like, whoa, okay. 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 I like it. I like it. I'm sorry, but I like it. I really that I, that that epilogue just added a touch that it was like, oh, oh, okay. And it was also unexpected. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I wasn't at all expecting that. Um, so yeah, I I did really enjoy the Duchess hunt, and it's interesting because. Book one, I was like, ooh, I wondered if we were going to see more about the whole who was trying to kill the queen. We had nothing about that. There was no talk about that. And if there was, I missed it, right? Our focus went from this sort of outside, external, crazy secret to this very, like, personal to each character secret. And I was like, ooh, I like this. Um this change in direction and I think it makes because I think it might have been too like oh my god the obvious if it had been like Hugh also was trying to find out like what happened like it I did appreciate that it was more like nope and I think he does reach out to Marcus because he Oh, yes, because he wants to make sure that Grenville basically leaves the UK and never returns. And I was like, I need you to basically get him on a boat to wherever. And I think he's about on a boat to either Canada or Australia. Like, you're one of the colonies. You're never coming back. But you're lucky you're alive. You're lucky you're alive, right? Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this pairing and how their story came about. And how they didn't, they didn't have to, like, diminish themselves to be together. Because they already understood how to work together. Because they had worked together. (laughs) So it was really, really, really well done. Um, And now I can't wait for book three, and I tweeted, like, oh my god, I cannot wait, like, I hope Marcus gets the book, and someone, um, I believe it was Nick, um, of, yes, I believe it was Nick, who said, Marcus is book three, so, fingers crossed, guys, that Marcus is book three, because, 
that will be exciting. And then I'm curious, like, well, Marcus is book three. Who is the heroine? Have we met her? Right? Because we do briefly see Petty Piece at the very end of book one. I think it might even be the epilogue of book one. Um, so I'm wondering if we saw the heroine of book three in this book and who she might be. Or if she'll be a completely new character we have not yet met. Um, I'm very, very interested in knowing. Well, uh, those are all of my many, 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 many thoughts about The Duchess Hunt, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I'm going to pause here, and then I'm going to come back for Gratitude Attitude. It's Gratitude Attitude time. Sorry, I don't know why I did that voice. <laughs> because I felt like it, like a weirdo. Anyway. So this week, the three things that I'm grateful for. So this past Thursday was Thanksgiving here in the United States. Um, And I'm just thankful that I was able to have time off. I think that especially as we go through, we're what now in year two of this panacea. It sometimes feels like in this rush to go back to normal, which I don't know what that means, that it can feel very easy to forget that not being productive 24-7 is normal. (laughs) That actually being productive 24-7 is abnormal. Um, And so just having the break from the, the job and having just the time to do and to be um, you know, to just exist um, without it being about specific um, goals or things that had to be done. I really, 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 really appreciated that. And that ties into the second thing that I'm really, really grateful for. Um, I have a home. And you might be going, wait, what? Um, but but that, I have a home. Um I live in New York City, right? New York City is mad expensive. I have a roommate. um, And we have this apartment. And we both work so that we can, you know, pay bills. She's got a cat. He does not work. I've told him that he should create an Instagram account and become an influencer so that he can pay his fair share of the rent. And then he meows at me and walks away. Because he is just like... (laughs) I'm a cat. I don't work. You do, human. But I say all that to say during this time of year where the weather is getting colder, you know, the wind chill is starting to pick up. We're starting to have nights fall below zero. Sorry for those of you who believe in Fahrenheit. It's a lie. It's okay. But as it gets colder, as it gets windier, as it rains, as there's, you know, inclement weather, knowing that I have a home is absolutely the best feeling. Knowing that I, you know, have a place where I can be warm and dry and I can make food and 
I can sleep and not be worried that I'm going to be hurt or that the elements are going to cause me to, you know, freeze to death in my sleep. Just not having to worry about my housing is huge. I think that it's really easy to think that being homeless or homelessness or being without a house is just a thing that happens to people who are irresponsible with money or people who, you know, make poor life choices. When in reality, getting to that place can and does happen to anyone. It can be something as simple as your next door neighbor left something on the stove, it caught fire, and your apartment also gets messed up, and now you home. It can be, you know, medical debt that piles up, and in the process of, you know, trying to stay alive from sickness, you end up not having the funds to maintain a home, and now what? Um, it can be, you know, something as simple as you had a bill on auto pay and they took the money out just when you didn't have enough. And then you get hit with overdraft fees and then you get hit with other, and it spirals and all of a sudden you're in this ridiculous hole and you have no idea how. It can be you're in a relationship with someone who handles the finances and they handled the goddamn finances into the ground and now y'all don't have a home. Like, there are so many ways that you can end up without shelter um, and it doesn't have anything to do with you being a fool or a bad person or it's just the nature of this thing we call life Um, and so just knowing that you know I currently am able-bodied can work and have the funds to pay my rent and have a home really 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 made me feel so so grateful Um, because we never know when we might be in a position where we are in need of shelter, Um, which is why I find it so frustrating when sometimes people want to act like as if homeless people on the subway are just a literal, are just doing it on purpose to inconvenience them, and it's like, okay, but it's not about you, and what is wrong with you? And then the last thing that I am grateful for this week it's also, like, tied to the home. Oh, my God, look at the theme. Um, so, for those of you who have never lived in New York City, um, I mean, I don't know what it's like. I grew up in Toronto. So, in Toronto, the apartments I grew up in all had electric baseboard heating. You went to the thermostat, you you changed the temperature. Um, I had a friend um, growing up who did live in an apartment with radiators, but... I think she was the only one. Everyone else, I, from what I can remember, either had baseboard electric heating or, like, central air, whatever. 
So when I moved to New York, it was like radiator, radiator, radiator. And I was like, oh. And so radiators are great. You know, I mean, they, they have their problems. They, you know, can sometimes make a room feel like it's absolutely on fire. Um, but, you know, you warm. Um, but one of the, like, you know, things that I don't love is that, I mean, they don't run continuously. Because if they did, you would, like, you know, it, we would live in jungle-like, you know, uh, temps. So I do get that they have to shut off to, so that it doesn't get unbearable. But what I find ends up happening is that I have periods where it's like, oh, this is nice and temperate. And then it just gets, like, chilly because it hasn't kicked in yet. So for that, I have a space heater. Now, I had the space heater. This space heater was actually from my old job because I used to sit in a basement and there was, like, a stairwell to the main, to the ground floor right in front of my desk and so the entire cold draft so I would sit there and be like freezing like sometimes I look back and I'm like I could have you know basically gone taking them to court because it was like absolutely no like you want me to sit here and answer phones and whatnot and I'm like you know can't feel my hands so anyway when I was leaving that job I was like I'm taking the space heater because ain't nobody gonna sit down here and I'm sure I'm gonna need it and lo and behold when during the periods where the radiator is just like, nah, girl, we are up right now. If I start to get chilly, I can turn on my space heater. And then it's like so nice and so warm and so cozy. Um, and I love that so much. And I love that it's one of those, like, if I tip it, it immediately stops running. So I don't have to worry that I might tip it and it would, I don't know, somehow catch the wood floor on fire. Um, which is seems very like, girl, that's like so far-fetched. But one never knows, but no, because it immediately stops working as soon as it tips over, which I think is such a smart um, addition or tool. I don't know what the word is. Um, But yeah, those are the three things that I'm grateful for, you know, and I'm looking forward to, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to Christmas. I'm definitely one of those people that thinks Christmas music is hot, bah humbug, and I wish that Christmas music wouldn't start playing until December 20th, um, personally, for me, um, and that's only because I worked very long time in retail, and ew, um, so, so we'll see how I feel about Christmas, we'll see, we'll see, um, but thank you guys so much for listening, um, if you've read The Duchess Hut, please let me know what your thoughts were on it you haven't read it, I suggest you put it on hold. I think you're going to like it. Um, And so, yeah, just let me know what you guys thought, because I definitely was like, what? And it definitely lived, at least for me, it lived up to the hype. All right, guys, have a fantastic week, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, bye.